Mark chapter 1, and we're uh, pick up here in verse 14 again. And uh, we've spent uh, several weeks here in verse 14 and 15, and uh, we're going to spend another evening here and maybe at least introduce uh, verse 16 to 20 here. Uh, verse 14, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now again, uh, we're in Mark. We've, we've studied Matthew, we've studied Luke, we've studied John, and we're in Mark. And Mark is going to be hard-hitting. In Mark 14, now after that John was put in prison, that's Matthew 4, okay? That is Luke 4. So in Matthew and in Luke, it took four chapters to get here, where in chapter 114, we're already there, okay? Actually, in John, the first five chapters of John fit between 113 and 114. That's how quick Mark is looking at this. He's not in it for Matthew, here's the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, your king, here, here he is. Mark is the servant. And with the servant, with the king, we want to know what the king has to say. What's he saying? Right now, the sky is thundering. Here's the king. What does he say? The servant, we just want to know, can he do the job? Can he work? Okay. Key word in Mark, that word and. Also, the key word in Mark is immediately. Immediately. Boom, boom, boom. Luke depicts the Lord as, a, as man. Okay, so now as man, so Luke is man, John is God, depicts him as who he is, God, the Son. Luke, in his humanity, how did he feel? What was he going through? How was he dealing with stuff? John, he's the eternal God. You know, we don't care about all that. Here's what he and who he is. The true shepherd, the true vine, those eight miracles and so forth, here is who he is. Now, in Mark 1... Starting in verse 14 and 15, last time we talked about the issue there of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God interchangeably. Mark, Luke, and John always, I shouldn't say always because there will be one verse somewhere that I'm not thinking about. For the majority of the time it says kingdom of God. Okay? All right, that's an airplane. <laughs> You know, when your phone beeps at you all afternoon about emergency this and flood, and it's like, okay. So when you think about the kingdom here, the, the message, he came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And we looked at that issue. We spent three or four weeks looking at Daniel 9 about the time is fulfilled, that specific time schedule that they're on. What these two verses also do for us is they demonstrate very clearly what the message, there's Rachel, and the ministry is of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is what the message, here's what the ministry of the earthly ministry of Christ is all about. It's very clear. There's no ambiguity. It's about what? Repent ye and believe. The kingdom is at hand. Here it comes. Now, he's talking to Israel. Obviously, we understand that. And what is he saying? Hey, the kingdom of God is what? Is at hand. The kingdom. That issue here of, of what he's going to be talking about. It's at hand. Uh, it, it's, it's at arm's length. It's nearby. If you... Last night we were sitting at the table eating dinner, and I said to Linda, I said, pass me the salt and pepper. Well, it was right. It was right next to her. It was an awkward reach for me. It's at hand. The kingdom was, it was, it's coming one day to be set on the earth, but right now it's not here. It's what? It's at hand. It's nearby. It's within their grasp. There's an issue here that they can just, it's available, and all they have to do is reach out and take it. Now, it isn't fulfilled and established yet, but it's the getting the ready. 
And we talked last time about those different theological viewpoints about the kingdom, the, the covenant reform, the covenant theology guys, and, and you know, in, where they will say, well, the kingdom is really the rule and the reign of God in the hearts of men, and they make it a spiritual thing inside of you, okay? Yet when we get into this and we look here, we're, we found out last time at least, we'll see it again this, this evening, it's not just a spiritual issue, it's also a physical issue. So a dispensational Bible study side of it will say, no, it's really both. It's not just a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic, because it's the throne of David situation. It is that, but it's also a spiritual issue. Come back with me to Matthew 6. To, to me, this verse in Matthew 6 is a, is a great verse to, to remember in all of this. Matthew 6 and in verse 33. Matthew 6, verse 33. By the way, if you run across people who think that the kingdom is a spiritual issue, then when the, the, the Lord, and if you think that the Lord is establishing the kingdom here in, in Mark 1, 14 and 15, then he's establishing the kingdom prior to Calvary. So that kingdom is going to be, if, if you say or hear people say, and I hear people say this, that in his earthly ministry he's establishing the kingdom, again, in the hearts of men, but it's okay. Because they had, <laughs> we were talking Sunday, somebody asked me about the NIV. The verses that we use about the NIV and they leave stuff out, if you look at a current one, they fix those verses because they got a backlash from their customer base because they got a backlash from you and I showing them, look, this verse is wrong. Well, they can pull out the latest edition, and guess what? It's been corrected to a degree. So the theological guys, the theology guys, they got backlash about some of this. So now they blend the ideas together, and they make it this well, right now, it's in the hearts of man to be then one day fulfilled, literally, physically, out over here. <laughs> and it's like, huh? Because if you say that he's establishing the kingdom here, you're saying that, he, that the kingdom is going to be established without the cross, without the resurrection, without the ascension, without the Holy Spirit coming. And when you study the kingdom issue in prophecy, all of those have to be on board before the kingdom can come. See? So if he's a, so you got a problem. You, you know, and, and instead of just read the verses, let the verses say and be where they're at. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the spiritual component there. Okay? For, for Israel, for the little flock. What are they going to do first? They're going to seek his kingdom and his righteous. And all these things shall be added unto you. Now, the things, verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. So you've got to go all the way back up to verse 25, and you've got to consider the lilies, and you consider the fowl, and all of those physical issues of, of uh, well, the fowl, uh, verse 26, behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his statue? And why, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet, what are they? They're beautifully arrayed, right? So those things of food and raiment, the things that your basic needs, he says, first... We're going to get the spiritual condition taken care of, and then you get the physical condition. So you're in Matthew 6. Look over at Matthew 19. So when you think about this issue of the kingdom of God, it's literally a spiritual component and a physical component at the same time. That's the issue. The, the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of heaven, 
Though that, that those terms, you got Matthew, go back to Daniel 2, just so you see this. I got to thinking about this last week afterwards. Daniel 2, those terms are interchangeable and they're adequate to be used interchangeably, okay? Because of Daniel 2.44 here. Daniel 2.44, here is the goal of prophecy, all right? Here's, the, here's what's to happen. Now, in Daniel 2, you have Nebuchadnezzar's dream of his statue, that, that image. You have Daniel interpret that as the kingdoms of the Gentiles, Babylon, Medes and the Persians, Greece, and so forth. In Daniel 2.44, Daniel says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. So if he's the God of, if he's God, you can call it the kingdom of God. But he's the God of heaven. So you could also call it the kingdom of heaven because the God of heaven is going to set it up. Which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. And you go read in Revelation over there and guess what? You, we see the forecast of it happening and so forth. So when you think about this issue of the kingdom, now come back to Matthew 19. You, 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 you just, people get all balled up in this. We looked last time where Paul says in the kingdom, we won't eat bread. We're gonna, it's, uh, the kingdom in, uh, for us today is moral, it's righteous, and it's uh, spiritual. But yet the Lord said, I'm going to eat new bread and new wine with you guys in the kingdom. So there is that physical component to it especially for Israel. Now, you and I, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings. We lack the physical component until the day when he calls us home to set up the heavenly kingdom. And Paul does use that term, uh, a kingdom in heaven or a heavenly kingdom, there in, to Timothy and so forth in 1 Timothy 6. So it's, it's adequate to use that when you begin to understand. In Matthew 19... The Lord is talking to his apostles. Now, you have to remember, he's taught them how to pray, Matthew 6. Thy, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy what? Kingdom come. Well, where's the Father? He's in heaven. What do they want? The kingdom would come. Provide for us. Give us our daily bread. There's the physical. So it's always connected, the two together. All right? Nowhere in the gospel of the kingdom of God, in the earthly ministry of Christ, does it say, or he say, or the apostles ever say, you're going to die and go to heaven. David says, I'm going to die, or not David, Job, they're going to eat, the worms are going to eat my body, but I'm going to see my Redeemer, my Savior in the flesh here on the earth. He, they, that's the wonderful thing about when you come to the apostles and these guys in Matthew, they know and understand what's going on. They're not... Bible dumbbells, they understand what's happening. And when you come here, and you, again, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, two different terms, okay, and, and yet here they are. Now, watch Matthew 19, 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus answer, or said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye, shall also, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That, those two, that verse 28 is loaded with information. First of all, notice he says that ye which have followed me, in the what? In the regeneration. When I come back and restore all things. Well, what's the all thing? When I come back in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit where? The throne of his glory. All of that's future talk. In the Old Testament, when the pro by the way, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, we're on Old Testament ground still. The death of the testator hasn't happened, so... So until the last couple chapters of each of the Gospels, we're not in New Testament, we're in Old Testament. 
always talks about the kingdom being future. Always. Shall sit. We're not, it's not here yet, but when I come back, I'm, we're going to sit, and you guys are going to sit on thrones. And the regeneration reference there is a future reference to when he's going to set up the kingdom. He's going to set up his government. His kingdom ruled and reigned through the nation of Israel. Come over to Acts chapter 3. Because in Acts 3, now we're, beyond, we're on New Testament ground in Acts 3. We're past Calvary. We're past the resurrection. We're past the ascension. The day of Pentecost has just happened. Peter's going to be talking here, Acts 3, verse 18. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his holy prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Notice, Christ knows everything that's going on. He's sitting on Calvary. Remember in John 19, he's at the end, and he's, you, you can see it. He's ticking through, making sure every verse is hit. And he says, oh, wait a minute, there's an obscure verse over there in Psalms about I got to get them to give me some vinegar. So he says what? I thirst. Those, that last of the seven sayings. I thirst. Then what do they do? They run over and they get it, and it fulfills Psalm 69, I think it is. I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay? He's literally, and you know what Peter says? There's not one verse missed. It's all been Fulfilled. Verse 19. Again, they're after the cross here. They're after the day of Pentecost. He says, what was to happen after all of that? Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of restitution shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which, was before, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Peter knows the kingdom is future. In chapter 1, they ask the question, is it time again to restore? And he says, it's not ready yet. And he opens their eyes of understanding. Shows it to him. Peter understands that. He knows the kingdom was not established in the earthly ministry of Christ. He, by the way, if you look back in chapter 2, look at verse 34. Look at what Peter says. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy what? footstool. He goes to Psalms 110 and says, Hey, you're going to sit here till I make your enemies. So what should have come? Wrath. Wrath should have come. Wrath should have been poured out on them. And yet, what, what was poured out in Acts 9? Mercy and grace, a change in the program, an interruption. So when you come back to Mark 1, where, we've, where we're trying to get into here, this issue in Mark 1, 14 and 15, is he's talking about a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic, when he says there, I'm sitting on the throne of my glory, of his glory, Matthew 19, he's not talking about just sitting on a throne that's got all this. He's literally talking about sitting on the throne of David. And that's what he's talking about. And he's talking about the rest. He's talking about it's at hand. The thing that can come along and restore everything back to his headship, it's, it's right there. All you got to do is reach out and take it. And that's where a lot of people just slip off the, the edge with this because they don't realize what God's doing in everything. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Look at Colossians 1. Um, this is kind of going along with what we were discussing Sunday and, and going to be looking at. Look at Colossians 1. Look at verse 16. In Genesis 1.1, when it says God created the heaven and the earth, everybody's thinking about the earth like we see it with the sky and the moon and all this stuff, okay? And that may be, yea or nay, we don't know because verse 2 in Genesis, it was all judged. But I do know something from Colossians 1.16 of what he did create in Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. 
Notice verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. So visible earth, invisible heaven. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. What did he create in Genesis 1-1? Thrones, principalities, powers, things, terminology that we understand are talking about government. You see, when God created the earth, he created a heavenly kingdom of government. He created an earthly kingdom of government. And he said in the angelic host originally to then run and administer that government, whether it's in the heavenly places or in the earth. Then the usurper showed up, and the rest is history, as they say, okay? But see, the thing is, is God, if you think about the, the name God, that's literally a governmental term, talking about sovereign. See, that's the same etymology there. They all go together. It's a religious term as well. I understand that. But when you back up and you think about when you say he's the most high, Genesis defines that as possessor of heaven and earth. He's the head guy, and he's got a government, and then he's going to have agencies and creatures. Come back with me to Psalms 145. I told myself not to get bogged down in this, but it's too late. When you think about he's got creatures to then govern and rule in the heavenly government and then in the earthly government. But with the fall and the interruption in that perfect plan, now he's got man and then he's going to have, well, now we know today from Paul, the church, the body of Christ, a new creature, a new man. Psalms 145 Look at verse 11. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known the sons, to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. It's all about the kingdom. Actually, 145, the whole chapter is about the kingdom. But it's a what kind of a kingdom? It's an everlasting kingdom. So when you hear people talk about the first thousand years, of, you know, and then the kingdom is established. No, the kingdom is established at his second coming. And how long is it going to last? Forever. The thousand years is just an intro. <laughs> Here's an introduction. We got some things to do during this period of time. And then we got some more things, great white throne judgment, etc. deal with sin and all that. And now we're going to go out for the ages. So you've got this issue here. Uh, come over to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 29. You've got, you got this issue here of it being everlasting. By the way, it said dominion. Paul says dominion. It's governmental terminology. 1 Chronicles 29. I'm sorry. 1 Chronicles 29. Verse 10. David here is... Uh, Blessing the, uh, advent, the, the venture of Solomon building the temple. Sol David can't do it. He's the bloody man, but God gives him the blueprints. He gets all the provisions laid in. Solomon's going to build it. Verse 10, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine... O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom. Notice how that kingdom includes all the stuff in heaven and all the stuff on earth. It's not just earth. It, it, the whole thing of it. There's a physical aspect to it. There's a spiritual aspect to it. And he's got a kingdom, a governmental structure, with the design to run the universe. Somebody one time said, well, why does it have to be physical? Well, the universe is physical. He created a physical environment. So it's got to be physical. Okay? So when <laughs> I had a guy come over to uh, Psalms 103, I had a guy ask me one time, when Satan fell, how did he fall? <laughs> 
Well, he fell because of free will. Because God gave him, he had a choice, didn't he? He could have said, praise the Lord, or instead he said, I'm going to do it my way. Guess what? Man's the same way. We can do it the Lord's way, or we can do it our way. And when, when man fell, what did the Lord do? He said, it's okay. We've got a plan. We're going to take the seed of the woman. We're going to make the seed of the woman into the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Out of Jacob's going to be a specific tribe, Judah. Out of Judah's going to be a specific family, uh, Jesse. I had to think of his name real quick. David's going to be our guy, and from David's lineage is going to come the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's going, to take, he's going to do for man on the earth what man could not do for himself, and he does it. Then we have an interruption in the program, and you think about the covenants. The covenants, the Davidic, the Abrahamic, the, the, there's a covenant that the Lord makes with Noah. All of the covenants make a promise, fundamentally, make a promise and make a provision that there will be stability in creation. Okay? There's all, when he looks at Noah and he makes a covenant with Noah never to flood the earth again and gives the rainbow. That is a covenant that there will always be stability in creation. It will never be disrupted again. He does it with Abraham. He does it with, all the Pal we call it the Palestinian covenant, the land agreement. He does it constantly. So the whole purpose in the earth with Israel is to reestablish his headship. Now, Israel is ready to be destroyed. His enemies have now been made his footstools, Acts 7. And instead, then he reaches over, reveals the secret. And the secret has to do with, hey, we've got a heavenly component out here we've got to take care of. And here's now the agency that's going to do that. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The end of that verse is the kicker. We, I know we, sup, we focus in on all spiritual blessings because that's the good. But it's in Christ Jesus. And that identification issues come in. Look at Psalms 103. And look at verse 19, 103.19. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. They know God has a throne where? In the heaven. They know that. They know that the angels are up there doing. But what about the earth? Come over to chapter 115. What, what about man? Man's not in the heaven. Where's man? On the earth. So, Psalms 115, verse number six, uh, 15 and 16. V 15. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven... Even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of man. So in 103, the cry is, you got a kingdom in the heavens and the angels are there, but what about the earth? Well, there's the issue of man and why man's created to subdue and have dominion and replenish and so forth. And the earth, the seed of the woman, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and off you go. Now we have a literal, physical, visible, earthly, prophesied, Davidic kingdom that's to come. And when you come back to Mark 1, he's, it's very clear that that's the message and ministry of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the church, the body of Christ, and the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, going to save everybody. From, okay? It's, we got to do this first. Now, notice, uh, go back, back to Mark 1. 14. Again, we're on, just kind of notice some things here in these two verses. Remember, we're on Old Testament ground still. Verse 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What's the next two words? Repent ye. There's the spiritual issue. That's the heart issue. Now, repent, okay, has a definition of to turn from. 
And that's legitimate, even in Scripture. We'll see it in just a second. But it also, really, most of the time is talking about what? Changing your mind. Well, if I'm going this way, and I turn from that, what did I do? I changed my mind. Okay, so it's really the same definition. We're just playing semantics now, okay? So the first issue is repent ye. There's the heart issue. Then he says, and believe the gospel. Believe the gospel, well, the end of verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom of God. There's the physical aspect. There's the literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. So you got Matthew 6.33 here. You got seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, repent, and then all the physical things will be added. But by the way, to get the physical things, you have to be in that physical descendancy of the seed line. Okay? You got to be of the 12 tribes. So what you really have going on here is this back and forth. Uh, come back to Acts 3. And this is really what happens when people get into Acts 3, the early part of Acts here, is because they see this coming along and guess what didn't happen? The kingdom didn't come. <laughs> The, the Lord says, my Lord said to your Lord, hey, your enemies, you're a footstool. Acts 7, they're declared to be uncircumcised. They're his enemies. And what happened? Well, the Lord showed up, but he didn't bring back the kingdom. He did something else. So that's where you get the idea comes from of, so then it's got to be a spiritual issue in the hearts of men. So now we've got to play this monkey game rather than doing what? That's Israel's program, and here's the church, the body of Christ, and laying out that clear distinction that's there. Okay? Look, look at Acts 3. Look at verse 25. Acts 3.25. Ye are. Isn't that interesting? Are. You're still Israel. They haven't fallen here in Acts 3 yet. You guys are still the children of the prophets and of the covenants which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindred of the earth be blessed. That's still their condition in Acts 3. In Acts 7, the condition's done. They're uncircumcised in hearts and ears. Okay, they always resist the Holy Ghost. The whole, here, they're still having a, as the... Guys say a bite at the apple. They're still having another opportunity on their own program. Verse 26, unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. Now watch, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. You see that turning away from iniquities? There's the repent issue. There's the change of mind about what's going on here. Wait a second. When the guys ask, him, ask Peter in 238 there, I mean in 237, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, what? Repent. Turn from your iniquity. What, by the way, what was their iniquity in two? Killing the Messiah. That was their iniquity. Ultimately, their iniquity is the is, uh, same thing that got Adam and Eve in trouble, and that's disobe disobedience to the word of God to them. So this issue here about them turning away from every one of you from his iniquities, and that's the prescription. Come back with me to Leviticus 26. That is the prescription for Israel from Moses all the way through the earthly ministry of the Lord, Leviticus 26, as well as the early Acts period and the ministry of the 12 apostles and so forth, is this issue of turning away, recognizing what you're at, confessing that, and then moving backward, back to where you're supposed to be. Not backwards, but back to where you're supposed to be. Now, in Leviticus 26, you have the five courses of chastisement here, uh, five courses of judgment, I call them, because... Once they're on, they're on. They don't go away. But in verse 40, here's how, Israel, if you want to get out from underneath any of these issues, here's what you must do. Verse 40, if they shall confess their iniquity. Now, think about that. 
Matthew 3, John the Baptist is there. They're down in Jordan doing what? Confessing their sins. 1 John 1, 9, favorite verse of everybody, right? If you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive you. Something like that, okay? I don't dwell in 1 John 1, 9 very often. And everybody says, oh, okay, here, you know, dear Lord, you know, forgive me for calling uh, Paul a bad name the other day. But I forgot about calling Bill a bad name. See, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this issue here in Leviticus 26, verse 40. Okay, the sin, the iniquity, verse 40, and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me. And that, and that also they have walked contrary unto me. So what's their iniquity? They trespassed him. Every time, if you look, if you draw your eye across to verse 14, but if ye will not hearken unto me and will not do all these, what? Commandments. Verse 16, I will also will do this unto you. Verse 18, and if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me. What are they doing? What's their trespass? They're disobeying the word of God to them. He says, do A. They're doing everything else. If you're gonna, so <coughs> you confess that, verse 41. And that I also have walked contrary unto them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled and then they accept and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity. Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham. Will I remember, and I will remember the land. Isn't that interesting? And then from 43 to the end of the chapter, he restores them back into the land. Humbled their heart. Hum hey, we're over here. We're doing this. Uh-oh. Boom. Wrong way. Let's turn. Let's get back over here where we're supposed to be. And you see that in a great illustration in Daniel 9, the first verses there of what, what does Daniel do. Look over there at Daniel 9. It's fan, it's, here's what Daniel's doing when, when he's, the 70 years are up. <laughs> Daniel 9, verse 3. The, so if they're to get out from underneath the judgment the five courses. By the way, in the earthly ministry of the Lord, they're in the fifth course. They're under Gentile rulership. If you were going to say anything about today in the age of grace, they're still under Gentile rulership. But all that's been, you know, put on pause, okay? So in 1948, when the British and the League of Nations, made, and the, which is the UN, made Israel a state, first of all, the Gentiles did that. Second of all, God's not in the real estate business anymore. They were doing something out of British Israelism is what was happening at that moment when they were doing that. Daniel 9, verse 3. And I set my face unto the Lord, God, to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Exactly what Leviticus 26 told him to do. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy uh, to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned. Notice how he says, I prayed, and then it moved to we. We have sinned and committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. We sinned. What did we do? We left the word. We left the commandments. Verse 10. Whoops. Flip the page. Verse 10, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law. So this is not just an individual confession. This is now a national confession. But watch verse 11. Even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice, therefore... The curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned 
against him. You see that oath that is written in the law of Moses? There's Leviticus 26. There's Deuteronomy 28 to 30, the end of Deuteronomy. Mo Daniel knows the rules. He knows the law. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil come upon us and so forth. No wonder the Lord's going to look at the Pharisees and say, have you not read? Don't you know the scriptures? It's right there. So when they come here, that's the issue in Mark 1. Repent and believe. Turn from your iniquities. Get that spiritual issue done. And then come on over here and let's get into the issue. Believing the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the physical restoration and protection and the hedge and all that stuff with you know, dumb Christians claimed for themselves today. Sorry, they're not dumb. Ignorant Christians, and here they go. Come over to 2 Chronicles 7. Back to 2 Chronicles 7. And the reason I'm spending a lot of time in the Old Testament is because that's where Mark sits. This is the groundwork. This is what the 12 are going to know, the little flocks learning. The Lord's going to be educating them in. 2 Chronicles 7. And look at verse 12. 2 Chronicles 7, 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. Solomon is dedicating the temple now. And the Lord says, I, I chose this place. Now, the place in, in chapter 6, verse 6 is Jerusalem, but I have chosen Jerusalem. So that's where we're at. So he didn't choose Phoenix. He didn't choose uh, Washington, D.C., Chicago, New York. He didn't choose any of those places. Where did he choose? D.C. <laughs> he, he, he chose Jerusalem. Okay? Now go back to chapter 7, if you didn't leave, verse 13. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rains, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their Land. This is Israel. It's not us. So when you hear Haggai and the guys say, Jerusalem is your hometown, Judea is your country or your county or your state, all of that spiritualization, allegorical stuff, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. If they do that, and by the way, this is a national repentance. It's a national confession. And they're turning from evil, apostate, back to where they are supposed to have been the whole time, which is in God's Word. Okay? Now come over to Malachi chapter 3. We're making our way back to Mark. Malachi 3. Malachi 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. That's a great verse about him never changing. You know what he's saying? I gave you my word. It's in five covenants, four covenants, five covenants, four covenants, right? Abraham, Palestine, Davidic, new. Yeah, four covenants. It's never going to change. I've given you my word so you guys can relax. Trust me. Stay with me. Verse 7, even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me. Isn't that interesting? He just says, I gave you my word, you don't have to worry about it, but you know what you guys did? You ran from it. So do what? Return unto me. Repent ye, and I will return unto you, with, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, wherein shall we return? Yeah, isn't it just like man to question, what do you mean? Just do it already. And he gets into the great passage. So come back to Mark 1. They left him. It's time to return. Repent. Okay, and again, that's clearly what, that's what repenting is. Turn around, change your mind. You're going in the wrong direction, guys. 
Hang that UE and let's get back over here. Get that U-turn in there and let's get it. And when you do, and I return unto you, are you still in Malachi? Uh, we should go back. It's easy to get there. You guys clicking. I, you, you beat me there, but my page will turn quicker. Look, look there at Malachi 3. They say, wherein shall we return? The end of verse 7. Verse 8, will, will a man rob God? Ye have robbed me. But ye, say, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee, and tithes and offerings? Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Again, the whole, it's the whole thing. Bring ye, the whole nation, all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. Now watch. If I will not open you the spiritual issues of your heart, no, the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Do you see the, get the spiritual side right? And what happens? The physical is just poured out all over them. That's what we're talking about in Mark 1. That's going to be the ministry and the message of the Lord Jesus Christ as he's going. And again, we're in Mark 1.14. Mark has hit this already because a servant, <laughs> you think, I think about a servant, I think about someone who comes in, I think about the landscapers. I don't know why, but okay, or maids or whatever, workers. All right, I was a bus driver when I worked. I was a, I was a servant. What do I do? You do pre-check the bus, run the route, Post-trip the bus, go home. Now, there's components in each one. But I had my job description down. That's what we're reading in Mark 1, 14 and 15 here. Here's the job. Here's the ministry. Here's the message. Here's what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do. Not what Christendom out there says. Okay? He's preaching a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom that's going to be vested in the nation of Israel. And that righteous nation, that little flock, the believing remnant, is the ones that are going to bring it on in. Okay? Now, come over to Romans 15 and verse 8, because if that doesn't, isn't clear, Romans 15, 8 is very clear with the Apostle Paul. Uh, in, again, in Paul's writings, we find the outline here in Romans 15 of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Romans 11, we find the outline of the book of Acts. And then in, in Romans uh, 16, 25 and 26, we find the outline of the Pauline epistles. So you find these things throughout here. Romans 15, verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, and that's usually where we stop, never stop, finish the verse, because the, the rest of the verse is what's critical. For the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. You, and the reason that is critical is because in Galatians 2, they changed the, of to, uh, in the gospel of the circumcision and the gospel of the uncircumcision, and they changed the of to two, and they make it one gospel. Well, if he's the minister of the circumcision and you just stop there and you believe it's the gospel too, not of, you got him saying the same thing Paul's saying, and that's not the case on the earth. He's there to confirm the promises made unto who? The fathers. Now, the trip up in the, is, the rest, is the next two, three, ver, four verses. And the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah, there shall be a root of Jesse, and, uh, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. So see, look, the Lord's really talking to Gentiles, and the Paul's gospel is just an extension of that, blah, 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 blah. The problem is, is what is the Abrahamic covenant? In Genesis 12, I'm going to establish your seed, you're going to be my guy, and you're going to be a blessings to the families of the earth, there's the Gentiles. So when Christ comes as the minister of the circumcision, confirming the promises made to the fathers, get Israel right, then who, now who's going to get the blessings? 
the Gentile nations. So people don't, they, it's amazing how many grace believers miss that. <laughs> and it's right there. But there's that continuity of ministry. All right, Mark 1. So in Mark 1, verse 14 and 15, it's really clear what Jesus Christ's ministry is going to be in, in, the, in his earthly ministry, let's say it like that, is all about and what his message was. And his message is, you guys need to get right, you need to repent, and you need to get back over here where you're supposed to be because that kingdom's coming and there's going to be tribulation that you're going to go through. And if you're not in the right if you're not in the boat, in the ark, you know, Peter's, uh, Noah's eight souls saved by water, okay? If you're not in that little flock, then you're, you're going to be destroyed. Now, we got five minutes, so let's just look at verse 16. We'll pick up in verse 16 next time. But I, I just, just noticed this, verse 16. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother also, were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. <laughs> so you've got some guys that are going to show up now and go to work with him. Okay? Mark starts with the message and ministry. Now we're going to see him gather up some ministers. Okay? To go work with him. In verse 21 through the end of the chapter, we're going to see five miracles that he does. By the way, he does all of these miracles in one day. But the design of the miracles, come over to Luke 8. The design of the miracles is to validate what he's just did. To validate his message. To validate the gathering up of the ministers, the workers and to, to validate what he's about now to go and do. So the issue of the miracles has to be reminded, Luke 8, verse 1, that when Jesus Christ did miracles, he didn't do them to prove that he was God. These guys already believed he was God. You and I believe he's God. We don't need a miracle. Only the heathen says, do a miracle and come on down off that cross. You know, he, and he's like, I've done this already. I think about uh, Lazarus and the rich man, and a rich man looks at Abraham and says, send back somebody from the dead, they'll believe him. And it's like, no, they won't. <laughs> They've got the law, and they got Moses and the prophets, let them believe that. Why? Because they just crucified the Lord and didn't believe him. So he does these to teach, to val he does the miracles in John. John 8, miracles, specifically to prove that he is the Son of God. Matthew and Luke, Matthew doesn't do anything in chronological order, scatterbrained. Mark and Luke are pretty chronologically in order. But he does these to teach and to validate the message that he's preaching. Always remember Luke 8, verse 1. Because if you can remember this, when you're in the Gospels and you're talking about the earthly ministry... This will save your spiritual hide <laughs> and not get you confused. Luke 8, verse 1. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. What was he doing? Preaching a message. Repent, believe the gospel of the kingdom of God, because it's at hand, the kingdom's at hand. But then he turned around and validated that by showing, by doing a miracle, a healing. He gives them the, the, the healing and the casting out of devils, the two great signs of the kingdom, the two great miracles of the kingdom, 
They're gonna, he's going to heal all the sorrow, sickness, all gone, and then all the demons and devils dispossessed. That's why when he goes on down here in Luke 8, we spent, when we were in Luke 8, I think we spent two and a half, three months going through the things about the devils and the demons and casting all that, because what's he doing? He's validating what he's preaching, okay? So when we go back to Mark 1, that's what's going to happen now. So we'll pick up in verse 16, we'll catch it here. By the way, in verse 16, you're going to see Peter and Simon and Andrew. We'll look over in John 1 because all, you know, and there's great confusion. Well, I said it, right? Look at John 1. Look at John 1 and with Mark 1. Okay? The first five chapters of John happen between Mark 1.13 and Mark 1.14. Okay? If you remember that. If you look at John 1, verse 35, and again the next day, I'm sorry, go back up to verse, go back up to verse 19, John 1, verse 19. It's interesting, in the first five chapters of John, he's in Jerusalem, then he's over in Capernaum, then he's back in Judea, then he's down here in Galilee, and he's all over the place. If, look at verse 19, and this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? So they're looking at John, but John's not, he, John's out in the wilderness. And they send, you know, the head guys to come over and check him out. Look at verse uh, 28. Verse 28. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. That's where he was. See? That's, okay, John, uh, now look at verse 35. And again, the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. So think about who we got. We got John and two of his disciples, and who are they looking at? They're looking at the Lord. John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What's, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? So they're, they're, they are disciples of John the Baptist. They are members of the little flock. That's who they are. They see Jesus and they hear him teach. And they say, what holiday inn you staying at? Where are you staying? Where are you dwelling? And he saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was who? Andrew. Guess who we're going to see in Mark 1? We're going to see Simon and Andrew. All right? Andrew. Uh, verse 40, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is being interpreted, a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. And Philip, but you see, they are already following the Lord. This is prior to the event in Mark 1.16. They're already in the little flock because of John's baptism. They've been students under John, and John says, that's the guy we need to go talk to. I'm just a crier in the wilderness. I'm just a forerunner. He's the Messiah. So they go over to Jesus and say, who are you? Where are you staying? Let's talk. And Simon goes and get, Andrew go gets Peter, and then he and then later in John one there he goes down and gets Nathaniel and Philip and the, and these guys are already following the Lord when he says to them in Mark one six seventeen I will make you become fishers of men, and that's the trigger in Mark one. See in John one they're 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 moving from John the Baptist disciple to the disciple of the Lord. Mark, one, they are already disciples of the Lord, and he says, okay, guys, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You, you see the that's two different events here. And the fishers of men issue is the hook 
that kids should understand two different things. So next week, when we look at this in 116, we'll go look at that issue of the fishers of men in the Old Testament. Two wonderful passages about that and why the Lord says what he says right here to these guys, okay? So when you read these two events, they go, you know, Schofield's note is compare John 1. And they're two different events, okay? John 1 is early. Mark 1 is a little bit later, okay? Five chapters later, actually, all right? Okay, give you some, something to think about and contemplate and work through in your head, okay? So you, you look up the fishers of men issue, and we'll go look at that, hopefully, if I remember next time. I got a big note. Look at fishers of men. So, All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the look here into your word and to see what you are, 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 are we're doing in your earthly ministry with the nation of Israel. And we can rejoice in that you did for them. You'll do it for us as well in our program. And that we too can rest because you've given us your word and we know that. And we'll just rest in that. In your name we pray. Amen.